Hi, friends. This is Pastor Dan Jackson. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Jacobswell Church. My hope and prayer is that this message will be a blessing to you and lead you into worshiping and enjoying our great and gracious God. With that said, let me encourage you to use this message as a supplement to and not a replacement of a local church. Christ did not establish his church simply for us to consume messages, but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. This morning, uh, as the lots fell, I guess I picked the short straw and uh, I get to preach on, uh, well, let's just say in Daniel 1 through 6, we have this narrative format and now things get a little freaky. Uh, just, we're just going to get a little, little interesting here and, um, and it's an honor for me to be able to preach today so that Pastor Dan can be on vacation. Uh, we're going to be in Daniel 7. And if you don't have, there's some page numbers there. If you don't have a Bible, uh, there should be a red Bible somewhere in, the, in front of you. Um, feel free to open that up or open up a device. And those red Bibles, the pages are there, 744. If you don't own a Bible, uh, please take that Bible. Uh, and it's, it's a gift for you. And, uh, and maybe explore it a little bit, read it. Um, that would be wonderful. Well, I'm going to read, actually, the entire passage as we start and I want to encourage you, I know we want to read along, and that's good, but I might encourage you, since there's a lot of imagery, to consider actually listening, and even if, if you want, closing your eyes and listening, if you don't think you'll fall asleep, that is, um, to try to take in the imagery, okay, and see the picture if you can. If it helps to look off or somewhere, I won't think you're not paying attention, I'll think that you're thinking. Um, Plus, my head's going to be down reading anyway. So, But Daniel 7, uh, we're going to read the entire passage here. Uh, this is God's word for us today. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man, and the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. After this, I looked, and behold, another, like a leopard with four wings and a bird, uh, four, with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns. 
And behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were, like, uh, were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking, and as I looked, the beast was killed, and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. I'm at verse 15. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me, and made known to me the interpretation of the things. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying, with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, and which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. And about the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn that came up, and before which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things, and that seemed greater than its companions. As I looked, this horn made war with the saints, and prevailed over them, until the Ancient of Days came, and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High. And the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, as for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the kingdoms, and it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones and shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law. And they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. But the court shall sit in judgment and his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve 
and obey him. Here's the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me, and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. The grass withers and flower fades, but the word of our God remains forever. Would you pray with me? Well, Father, we are peering into something quite strange today. Peering into the, the heavens, the spiritual realms, Lord. And so we pray that by your spirit you'd grant us understanding. Would you help us, God? Would you take my, my words and the meditations of our hearts and would you multiply your grace in us? Would you secure your truth in us? And would you be pleased? For the glory of Christ and his kingdom, we ask these things. Amen. You ever wonder if God is still in control? There's a New York Times columnist who doesn't think so. In her August 16th of this year opinion piece titled, With Trump as President, the World is Spiraling into Chaos, she suggests it seems like there's potential for humanitarian and geopolitical horror. And she goes on. All over the world, things are getting worse. China appears to be weighing a Tiananmen Square like crackdown in Hong Kong. Hostilities between India and Pakistan have ratcheted up further. Turkey is threatening to invade northeast Syria to go after America's Kurdish allies there. This was a few months ago. So we see what's happened. North Korea's nuclear program and, program and ballistic missile testing continues apace. The prospect of a two-state solution in Israel and Palestine is more remote than it's been in decades. Tensions between America and Iran keep escalating. Relations between Japan and South Korea have broken down. A Pentagon report warns that ISIS is resurging in Syria. The UK could see food shortages if they crash out of the European Union without an agreement. And oh, the globe may be lurching towards recession. Is God still in control? Or as this author suggests, are things getting worse? spiraling out of control. You know, I wonder if Daniel was thinking the same thing. You know, it was the first year now of King Belshazzar's reign. This is roughly 550 BC. Daniel and his fellow countrymen, the Israelites, have been living in exile under oppression and persecution for almost 55 years now. They had watched the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar, who had first carried them off to Babylon from Jerusalem. They had seen him prosper and grow. They then saw him lose his mind and act like an animal. And when he humbled himself, he was restored and his kingdom grew bigger than ever. Now they're seeing the Babylonian kingdom continue to prosper and expand under the co-regency of Belshazzar. And all the while, Daniel and his countrymen lived under oppression persecution, forced to live away from their home, forced to adopt a culture not their own, forced on threat of death to adopt worship practices not their own. 
And all the while, the promises and the longings for a restored kingdom remained in their hearts. And yet even still with these longings, I imagine that the temptation to adopt a way of faith and life not their own was great. I mean, as the saying goes, if you can't beat them, uh, join them, right? So it makes sense that they may have been asking a question, God, are you still in control? Like Daniel and the exiled Israelites, we too look around us at various pressures, physical pressures, circumstantial pressures. We look around and see a growing cultural oppression of a biblical worldview. We look around and and see this so-called chaos in our world that seems to be spiraling out of control. We look around and see the division in our own nation and division in our families. We see brokenness in our world and in our hearts. And we too, like Daniel and the exiled Israelites, are tempted to doubt God's plan, to doubt God's goodness. We too are tempted to adopt an attitude of despair and fear. We too sometimes ask, God, are you still in control? One of our family's favorite children's books, the author writes this. That very night in Max's room, a forest grew and grew and grew until his ceiling hung with vines and the walls became the world all around and an ocean tumbled by with a private boat for Max. And he sailed off through night and day and in and out of weeks and almost over a year to where the wild things are. Well, I don't think Daniel was sent to bed without supper for telling his mom, I'll eat you up. As he lay in his bed one night, in a dream and visions, he definitely went to where the wild things are. And in true apocalyptic fashion, Daniel saw monsters in the night. We read, he describes in verse 2 what he first sees, And behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. Daniel then goes on to describe these four mutant beasts. He sees a lion with eagle's wings. He sees a flesh-eating bear. He sees a four-headed, four-winged leopard that must have been fast. And then he sees this fourth beast, unlike the others, dreadful, terrifying. Uh, one, One scholar called this the robo beast. You know, it had steel teeth, bronze claws, Ten unruly horns and this growing mini horn that came out and it had human eyes and a human mouth. It's not insignificant that these four beasts are all predators. They're all proud creatures. And they're here described as ferocious, powerful, territorial, influential, and horrific You'll note that every one of them, too, except for the bear, is some mutant thing. It's not actually part of our created order. We don't see any of these beasts. They're not merely wild things, are they? In Daniel's words, they're terrifying and dreadful things. Now, how would Daniel have understood such things? 
How would he, when he sees these visions in that night, when he's gone to this place, how would he understand these things? Well, commenting on this passage, Old Testament scholar Tripper Longman writes this. He says, by the time of Daniel, the sea was already a potent symbol of chaos, indeed of destructive evil. Deep in the psyche of the people of the ancient Near East, the sea was more than a dangerous place. It was a threatening force that was ranged against the beneficial forces of creation. The sea evokes horror and an anticipation of evil. So what Daniel sees coming out of this chaotic, horrible, evil, destructive sea was the epitome of evil, chaotic forces opposing God and his created order. Longman notes that these beasts would have evoked horror and revulsion in Daniel and his contemporaries. You see, what Daniel was seeing and what we are seeing is the reality that there really are monsters in the night. There are beasts out there. There are beasts out there. But I wonder, are the beasts only out there? I'm reminded of an evening not not too long ago. If you can imagine with me, there we were. We were quietly finishing our supper around the table. No one was complaining about their food even. Every child was contently eating and some were even enjoying their lentils and rice. It's one of my favorite meals. The next day, it's always better. It sort of like mushes all together, you know. Even the usual how, your day, how was your day conversation went beyond one word grunted replies, you know, that come along with nine-year-olds and five-year-olds and my two-year-old who just always says, uh-huh, yeah. We were actually having a nice dinner, believe it or not. And then I looked up and I noticed the time. Was it really that time? And before I knew it, I shouted, it's time to go. And no sooner had the words come out of my mouth than the madness began. You know what I'm talking about? Anyone know what I'm talking about? The madness that seems to happen whenever you're trying to get out the door and you're running a bit late. Get your socks and shoes on, kids. Does the baby need a new diaper? Do you have your coat? You don't know where your coat is? Find it. Mommy, I have to go to the bathroom. Honey, did you put the stuff in the car? Dear, do you know where my wallet and keys are? Son, now's not the time to solve the Rubik's Cube. Just put it down. Get in the car! Somehow, someway, like herding a thousand cats through a waterfall, we got in the car. In our seats, belts on, and headed off to wherever we were going, hoping we remember to turn off the oven, and we were thinking, what just happened? What was once quiet... The peaceful time around the table turned into a chaotic mess of rude and disrespectful cacophony. What just happened? I'll tell you what happened was the beast, the beast within reared its ugly head. It's true that there's beasts out there in the world, but it's also true that the beast lies within us as well. Notice the language that Paul uses in Romans 3 to describe this beast within. Reading in Romans 3 and verse 10, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All 
have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Anyone else see any similarities between this and the four beasts? Daniel's vision? Going back to Longman, the Old Testament scholar, he puts it like this. He says, every man and woman at heart is a self-seeking rebel against God. And we would crawl over the bodies of our fellow human beings in order to seek some small advantage for ourselves. He says, the beast is in the heart of each one of us. You see, friends, anytime we oppose God and his created order, We show ourselves not as his image bearers, but rather as beasts. Friends, consider this thought. The beasts are out there, but the beasts are also in here. I want to ask you, does this alarm you? Does it make you anxious? If not, consider this. Daniel was alarmed and anxious at the thought of these beasts. If you're here today and you're not alarmed at the reality that there are monsters in the night, that there are beasts out there and in here, then is it possible that you are choosing to ignore and and maybe even reject this reality? Is it possible that instead of facing the beasts out there and the beasts in here, that we have become escape artists? You know what I mean? Escaping into things like sports, Netflix, food, hobbies substances, and so on and so forth? Is it possible that when we do face the beast in this world and the beast in our heart, that we are left feeling unsure, confused, afraid, and powerless? That we're left wondering, is anyone able to conquer these beasts? Good, that's a good question to ask. And I'm thankful that Daniel's vision continued. Going back to this favorite children's book of ours, we read, And when Max came to the place where the wild things are, they roared their terrible roars and gnashed their terrible teeth and rolled their terrible eyes and showed their terrible claws. Makes you wonder if Maurice Sindak was reading Daniel 7, but anyway. And then Daniel says in verse 9, And as I looked, after seeing all of this, as I looked, thrones were placed. And the Ancient of Days took his seat. You see, if the first part of the vision can be summed up with the words chaos, evil, and horrific injustice, the second part is quite the opposite, isn't it? Rather than chaos, we see order. Instead of evil, we see pure goodness. And in the place of horrific destruction, we see perfect justice. You see, Daniel's vision shifts now to some sort of heavenly courtroom. Thrones were placed around the room and one fiery throne stands out from the rest. You'll note too that in this place, there was a multitude too great to number. And this is represented by by the language Daniel uses. A thousand thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. In this genre of writing, that means a multitude too great to count. Think of it like the sand on a seashore. 
And they're all standing here in this heavenly courtroom in service to this great figure that Daniel describes as the ancient of days who took his seat, we're told, on one of the fiery thrones. And listen to the language that is used to describe the ancient of days. Verse 9, his clothing was white as snow. He's purely good, pure goodness. The hair of his head like pure wool. He was wise. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. He's a judge. He opens the books of life and sits in judgment. He has ultimate authority. And we see that he takes away dominion from all the beasts and eventually destroys them. He has power. You see, in short, the second part of Daniel's vision might be summarized like this. The ancient of days, or God himself, is the great judge who gives and takes away dominion, who gives rule and takes away rule, who gives authority and takes it away. In other words, according to the text, the God of the Bible gives and takes away dominion. It's his to do with as he pleases. Daniel continues and he says in verse 11, And as I looked, the beast was killed, and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. Judgment. And as for the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. A measure of the judge's grace and patience to give them time to repent, perhaps. You see, God is the great judge who is able to conquer the beasts, and he does conquer the beasts. He takes away dominion, and instead he gives them a curse of death. Now, I wonder if at this moment, Daniel might have been reminded of the story in the garden. You remember it? You see, after God creates Adam and Eve in his own image, he gave them a kingdom. We're told in Genesis 1.28, be fruitful. God says to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. But then something happens. An evil beast in the form of a serpent tempted and deceived them. And when given the choice... Adam and Eve showed themselves to be beasts rather than image bearers themselves. And as a consequence for their rebellious beastliness, God takes away their dominion. He removes them from the garden. And what does he give them? A curse of death. But before he did that, he made them a promise. He promised them that one day, one of their great, 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 and keep going grandchildren would completely destroy that evil beast. But the destruction of the beast wasn't the only promise God made to his children. As the years go by, God continued to make promises, other promises. He promised to make them a great nation that would bring blessing to the whole earth. He promised to establish them uh, in a kingdom that would be ruled by a shepherd king who would be born to a virgin. 
And he promised to restore his people and gather them into a new, better kingdom than the ones of this world. You see, these promises, these longings would not have been forgotten by Daniel and his countrymen. And if we're honest with ourselves, whether you realize it or not, we too are longing for a better kingdom. We're longing for a better world. The other day, my my nine-year-old son, Ross, gave me a a small notebook. Here it is. Over the last couple months, as I would tuck him into bed and and kiss him goodnight, uh, I would check on him a little later, and he was working. He was in his bunk bed. I kept seeing him working in this book, writing, doing stuff. I didn't know what it was. I said, what are you working on? He goes, oh, I'll let you know. It's a gift for you. And I said, okay, great. Well, one day, about a week or two ago, he hands me this book and says, here it is, Dad. It's ready. I said, okay. So I open it up. Here's the first page. To Dad from Ross. This book will help you understand Rossy world. From marching chants to flags. Love, Ross. He signed his name in cursive, which I've never seen that before. And here it is, complete with military flags, national flags, coat of arms, mottos, chants, there's a map somewhere in here of his kingdom and, and symbols and, uh, and how, you know, like there's a key that shows me where everything is, the fortress and so forth and so on. There's even marching chants. Let me read you his marching chants, one of his marching chants. <clears throat> I asked him for permission, by the way, just so you know. Here's the chant. We are Rossi world. We march to destroy Graham world. That's his brother. We trust Jesus. We will. We are. Rossi world. Repeat four times. (laughs) Interestingly enough, as you caught on to, my five-year-old son, Graham, now has his own kingdom, which is appropriately named Graham world. And they battle each other. Why have my sons created these worlds? I'm sure there's a lot of reasons. A whole lot of reasons, but I'd like to focus on one underlying reason. I believe that they have a longing in their heart given to them by God for a better kingdom. And they have a longing to rule in that kingdom. You see, although we may push it down or explain it away, I believe we have this same longing as well. And it goes back to the garden. We were created with this longing. A longing for a world of order and peace. A longing to rule as co-heirs of this world. A longing for justice, for goodness, and for sweetness. And yet, sadly, we're tempted to live as though we're made for this chaotic, beastly world that we see around us. We're tempted to doubt the longings in our heart. We're tempted to doubt if God is still in control. Why? Because there's beasts out there. And there's a beast within. What do we see in Daniel's vision? God himself judges the beasts, removes their dominion, takes it away. He conquers the beasts. But then you notice God does something else. He does something with the dominion that he takes away from the beasts. The vision continues in verse 13. Behold, With the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. 
Think back so far, Daniel has seen horrific beasts, chaotic seas, destruction, evil. He's been taken into some sort of throne room where he sees a figure, the ancient of days, who represents God, who is all wise and and purely good and acts as the great judge, removing rule from the beasts and giving them a curse of death. And what does he see now? One like a son of man. Hey, wait a minute, that guy looks like me. That guy has two legs, two arms, a head, feet, hands, a body. He looks like an image bearer. And yet, with all the striking similarities, there is a reality that this one, like a son of man in Daniel's vision, is quite different than Daniel and us. You see in verse 13, he rides a cloud chariot. That's something in the Bible that only God can do, by the way. This one, like a son of man, rides, rides the cloud chariot like he's God. He came into the heavenly courtroom here where the fiery throne is before him and he is presented before the ancient of days. Think of like a, a knight being presented before his king. And then the dominion that God had taken away from the beasts we find is given Verse 14, to him, to the one like a son of man was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So in other words, Daniel saw a divine, human-like, image-bearing being who was worthy enough to receive God's kingdom and reign over it forever. Who is worthy of such an honor. Well, Daniel doesn't say right here. What he does say is that after all this, after peering into the abyss of human evil and then into the very throne room of God and his judgment, Daniel is afraid. And so in verse 15, Daniel, whose spirit within was anxious and the visions of his head alarming him, I bet so, Daniel approaches one of those who stood there, one of those thousands upon thousands, perhaps, standing in service to to the ancient of days. Daniel approaches and asks him the truth concerning all this. Interesting, Daniel's allowed to approach and ask. And if I may, I'd like to summarize the interpretation that we find here. Now, there's a whole lot of discussion that can come out of these next verses. A whole lot of debate has taken place through the years. What do these mean historically? Do we see them fulfilled? Are they not fulfilled? Are they yet to be fulfilled? And here's what I'd like us to think about for today. Instead of all that, let's think about the big picture. And the big picture is this. Do we believe God's still in control? So let's see what we see to answer that question here. Daniel is told that the beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. And by that, I'm going to say that these are all the kings and all the kingdoms, rulers and citizens, you might say, that shall arise out of the earth. They are those rulers and peoples who oppose God. They are the beasts out there and the beast in here. And that includes all the ten horns and the little horn and all that going on. I'm summarizing a lot right there. 
But that's what I'd like us to think about. These are the beasts. These are those who oppose God. We're told secondly, or Daniel's told secondly, that there's going to be a time when the saints of the Most High, that is those who belong to God's kingdom, will suffer oppression and persecution at the hands of the fourth beast, more specifically this little horn. We're also told that all who oppose God will be judged and destroyed, that their dominion will be taken away and they will be given the curse of death. Because God conquers the beast out there and the beast in here. But then we see something different, something that we didn't quite see in the vision. We find it in verse 18 and in verse 22 and in verse 27. Reading in verse 18, we're told that the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. Verse 27, it says, The kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. Well, after hearing all this, Daniel rejoiced greatly at the thought and sang praises to God. That's actually not what he did. Instead, he writes, here's the end of the matter. In verse 28. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me. And my color changed. It went pale. I imagine sick but I kept the matter in my heart. As I read this passage and have been studying this passage, the question I've been wondering, you see these apocalyptic visions, when we find these in scripture, we find these in the book of Revelation, for instance, they are given to God's people to comfort them. And yet Daniel does not seem comforted in least here by this vision. Instead, he, he seems rather disturbed And so, of course, I'm asking this question to myself as I'm reading this. Why is this his response? Why does it seem that he found no comfort from these visions? Perhaps it would help if we asked the question in a different way. What do we see that Daniel did not see? At least, he didn't see it in fullness. You see, almost 600 years after Daniel's time, There was a man born to a virgin who is descended from King David himself, the one who is promised an everlasting kingdom. And this man would walk the streets of Daniel's hometown, Jerusalem, and this man would teach on the steps of Daniel's place of worship, the temple. This man would heal the lame and give sight to the blind and set free the captive. And while we most commonly refer to him as Jesus, he most commonly referred to himself as the Son of Man. In fact, the gospel writers record 83 times this title is used. Far surpasses any other title used for Jesus in the gospels. Although he had the authority to forgive sins, Although he had the authority of even time itself, he was Lord of the Sabbath. His teaching was not one of conquering by bloodshed, 
But rather, he began to teach them, we're told in Mark 8, that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. You see, the Son of Man did not come in this coming, riding on the clouds, seeking to be served, to take dominion for himself and to reign with an iron fist. Instead, the Son of Man came to serve and give his life as a ransom for us, for many beastly people. You see, in fact, in order for the curse of the beast to be conquered, the Son of Man, Jesus Christ himself, became the curse, we're told. And he took our sin when he hung on the cross. And with his cry, it is finished. He redeemed those who trust him from their beastly curse of death. And he gave them a new name, saints. Saints of the Most High. And in three days when he rose from the dead, he guaranteed a position for these saints in his kingdom. In John 3, we're told, whoever believes in the Son of Man lifted up, you will have eternal life. And after 40 days, the risen Son of Man ascended to heaven and he was presented, presented before the Ancient of Days. And we see this in Revelation 5 when the mighty angel proclaims who is worthy. Who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seal? Who is worthy? John begins weeping because no one is seen to be worthy. And then one of the angels says, Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. He can open the book of life. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I, John, who's writing this, saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, perfection, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, the Ancient of Days. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures representing all of creation and the 24 elders representing all of his people fell down before the Lamb. Each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll. And to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Friends, God God is taking away dominion. And given the curse to the beast. But then in Christ he takes away the curse. And he restores dominion to his people through Christ. Are you afraid of the beasts out there? Are you afraid of the beast in here? Are you still wondering if God is in control? Then hear the voice. Of the one like a son of man. The risen Jesus Christ. Who says this in Revelation. 
Fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. Behold, I am making all things new and behold, I am coming soon. Would you pray with me? Oh, gracious God, we thank you that you conquer the beasts in our hearts through Christ. That we who have been beastly are restored image bearers. We thank you for the promise that it is finished and the promise that goes with that, that you are establishing a kingdom. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven right now. And Lord, we know that any time we live like we belong to you in your kingdom, your kingdom has come. So help us, Lord. Comfort us, remind us of this, and help us not to live in fear, but rather to fear not. Because you are in control and you are good. And your love endures forever. Be praised. Be glorified, Jesus, we ask in your name. Amen.